0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 will be our passage of scripture this morning. We'll read verses 4 through 25. Follow along with me as I read, and I would encourage you, I'll make a a point of uh, pointing out uh, when the Lord's name is mentioned, but I want you to notice how it's mentioned every time it's mentioned in this particular text. Starting in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground then the lord god formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature verse 8 and the lord god planted a garden in the eden in the east and there he put man whom he had formed and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the ground or the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pashan; It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, Bethlehem, an onyx stoner there. The name of the second river is Gishon, or Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. then the man said this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and then genesis 2 concludes by these two verses therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed the title of my message this morning is god the great provider god the great provider and as we look at genesis chapter 2 i want to make sure that we understand the context of genesis chapter 2 as as we have gone through genesis chapter 1 i've explained this to you in 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 the past but genesis 2 is is further details or more information of what actually happened in chapter 1 In chapter 1 in in verses 26 and 27 it says that god made man in his own image both male and female he made them so that's explained in genesis chapter 1 but you get to chapter 2 and it's going to be a further explanation of what god did when he created male and female in his own image as we read in genesis chapter 1. genesis chapter 2 is almost like a magnifying glass of what is said in chapter 1 and specifically it's going to focus on what God did with mankind. Even though Chapter One was the whole world, the whole cosmos, if you would say, but Genesis Chapter Two is going to say, okay, let's let's hone in on what what God did with man, and we see that in this particular uh, chapter. I want to make sure that you understand something that's important as you um, understand the whole book of Genesis, and it's really what I would say is the structure of Genesis look in genesis chapter 2 and verse 4 and you're going to see a phrase that's repeated a number of times in the book of genesis and that phrase if you will follow it through the book of genesis will help you understand that the author of genesis is going somewhere and the phrase there is in verse number 4 the very first words these are the generations of the heavens and the earth now what he's going to do is he's going to tell you all right this is the beginnings of of the heavens and the earth and specifically that word generation is the word beginning but it's it's the only time in the book of genesis that it's used without using someone someone's name that we would know so what you find out in the book of genesis is that the book of genesis is going somewhere because it's going to talk about the generations of someone all right let me tell you about the earth this is the generations this is the beginning of the earth but then flip over to genesis chapter 5 and verse 1 for those who have your bibles and look in verse 1 5 uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 it says this is the book of the generations of adam so it's going to tell you the genealogy and the family and the life of adam if you go from chapter 5 and verse 1 if you go to chapter 6 and verse 9 it's going to say these are the generations of noah so it's going to tell you about Noah and his family and what happened in his life and you're going to go throughout the book and it's going to tell you more about Shem and Ham and Japheth in chapter 10 and verse 1 in chapter 11 it's going to tell you these are the generations of Terah in chapter 25 it's going to talk about these are the generations of uh, Ishmael and then also in chapter 25 it's going to tell you about the generations of Isaac in chapter 36 it's going to tell you about the generations of Esau until you get to genesis chapter 37 it's going to say these are the generations of jacob and then it's going to say joseph being 17 years old and from that point on from genesis 37 all the way to the end of the book it's going to tell you about the life of joseph so what you need to find out or remember is that genesis is not just a a bunch of stories thrown together God through his holy spirit is is letting us track generations of people and and it's going to go to joseph and then joseph is going to go through somewhere all the way throughout the old testament all the way until you get to matthew chapter one when it says these are the book of generations of the son of david the son of abraham the son of of god jesus christ matthew chapter one the old testament and specifically genesis is going somewhere and it's going to the one that we love and adore in jesus because that's what the bible is all about so we see that that structure um, here now did you catch the names of the lord that are mentioned in genesis chapter 2 it specifically says the lord god right god is the word that's mentioned every time in genesis chapter 1 the word god there is elohim elohim would be of his mighty and his power and his majesty and all throughout genesis 1 we see elohim but then now in, in genesis 2 11 times in these verses it mentions specifically the lord god jehovah god jehovah or yahweh elohim elohim majesty glory glory power but Jehovah what is Jehovah Jehovah is his covenant name it's his personal name and we're going to find out that God in his person and his love and his covenant and his desire to know man we see him in Genesis chapter 2 as the Lord God and you're going to see him time and time again that you see in chapter 2 and verse 4 that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens in chapter and verse number 5 the Lord God had not caused it to rain Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust. Verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden. Verse 9, the Lord God made to spring up every tree. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man. Verse 18, the Lord God said verse 19 the lord god had formed every beast verse 21 the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall upon adam and verse 22 the rib that the lord god had taken from man he made into a woman the lord god is active in this particular chapter and that's why i'm saying to him that god is the great provider that someone jehovah elohim he's very active in this particular chapter and it's to him that we are going to focus our attention to this morning someone said this i think it's wise for us to remember as we consider this particular passage of scripture that god does nothing except he does it by time number and measure everything that god does is according to some pattern which exists in his all-knowing mind and we see jehovah elohim at work directing speaking acting in this particular chapter and that is what we will give our attention to this morning the first truth i want you to see is found in genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 that i want us to realize this morning that god is is so good that he provides life look with me in verse number 7 the bible says then the lord god formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature our good god jehovah elohim is the one who provides life to man and we understand that in this particular passage of scripture we saw um, when we look at genesis chapter 1 that man is special because we both male and female are created in god's image and we understand that we're special because man got a bunch of dust i mean god got a bunch of dust he formed it as a sculpture would form very deliberately he formed a man and in that man in that body god breathed into that man and that man became a living creature some of your translations say a living soul god is the one who gave life to mankind i like what boy says he says the implication readily seen by any hebrew reader is that man was especially created by god's breathing some of his own breath into him and if you're alive today it's because god breathed into man and we have breath He gave us life and you will last on this earth for as long as you don't have life and your life your breath is taken away and at that time your body will go and and be back to the dust of the earth that it is but you will have a soul that will live forever and what is your relationship with the lord like this morning do you know him do you love him do you serve him The second thing we see that god is good to provide is god not only provides us life but he provided a home look with me in genesis chapter 2 and verse 8 this is not only eden but the garden in eden that god created and the lord god planted a garden in eden in the east and there in that spot in that place in that garden he put the man whom he had formed that god had a place for man to be and it was going to be in this garden and we read how it was described in this particular passage but the garden of eden was a real place we're not just reading a fairy story it's not something mystical or mythical it was a real place and um, i hate to tell you this because when you read the verse about there's a lot of gold there no one knows where this place is all right There's been a flood since then, right? Rivers have changed, uh, but it's a real place. It was a place that God had prepared for Adam. I'm so thankful that Jesus said in John 14 that Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. And ever since sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, God has had a plan to reconcile man to himself that one day we will be forever with god in a place like this a place of perfection and i long for that day and i trust that you do as well if you look at these particular verses it's an exceptional place there are all types of plants there's all kind of herbs there that are good they're pleasant for the eyes they're good for the food to eat i mean it's something that's sustained Would be able to sustain adam there's water there's everything he needs it's a very delightful place very pleasant place and what's very clear in the place that god has provided for man that there was nothing lacking for adam god did not shortchange adam on anything there was nothing missing it was everything that he ever could have wanted and god put him there god is so good that he provided a place like this for adam we see in verse number nine and out of the ground the lord god made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what's interesting is there's two trees that are mentioned Adam and Eve didn't focus on the first tree. They focused on the second tree. Their mind was one that was directed at the one that God gave a prohibition. One tree speaks of life. The other indirectly speaks of death. In chapter 3, what we find out regarding this tree of, of good and evil In chapter 3, we understand that knowing good and evil is something that distinguishes God apart from people. And he puts a prohibition there. He gave them all these things, all these opportunities, but he said, hey, just not this one. God is good to give to man what he has given him. Look with me in verse number 15 of our text. Not only does God provide man with life, and a place but he also provides him what we find out in verse number 15 he provides work for man to do the lord god it says in verse 15 took the man and he put him in the garden of eden to work and to keep it it was kind of hinted at in verse number five that there was no one to work the garden but specifically god then now places adam in the garden before the fall right Work is not something, a consequence of sin. God gave man something to do even before sin entered the world. Leopold said this He said, The ideal state of sinless man is not one of indolence without responsibility. Work and duty belong to the perfect state. And sometimes I think people think about heaven and they're like, Man, I just can't wait to get there and just kind of swing on a hammock all day long, you know? sing kumbaya at night to jesus <clears throat> work is not something bad it's not something bad that was in eden it's not, it wouldn't be something bad if the lord gives us something to do in heaven and it's not bad while we're here on earth work is part of men's original vocation given to him by god man was not created to be lazy nor to be a workaholic but god gave us something to do it's interesting the phrase in our text is to work and to keep it the word keep it is is the word guard that he was to work and to guard the garden almost anticipation for what we find out in genesis 3 when the serpent comes along but this terminology to work and to keep is also used when it comes to talk about the the priest and what they would do in their task And it leads us to say this, folks, that our work is not given to us just that we would provide for our families. We ought to do that. But your work is also a sacred task that God has given you and that you can do it as unto the Lord. And so often we misview our work today it's just well we just have to do it we have to provide no God has given you abilities and he wants you to do what he's enabled you to do to the best of your ability for the glory of God Martin Luther said this and I I said the this quote uh, when I started what's what we call the leadership luncheon the leadership luncheon is something I started in 2013 to get business people government people uh, together just to encourage them but part of my um, desire in starting that is I, I almost uh, on a regular basis people will come up to me and they're like well hey what do you do and I'm like I'm a pastor and it's almost like they back away and they're like oh you know I do this but I, I'm not a pastor like like they're a second-class citizen because they're not a pastor and I, I've used this quote to that group of people a number of times over the years but martin luther said this the works of monks and priests however holy and arduous they may be do not do one wit in the sight of god from the works of the rustic labor in the field or the woman going about her household chores but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a manservant or a maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fasting and other works of monks or priests because the monk or the priest lack faith. And what I'm saying to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, don't devalue God's calling on your life. You do it and you fulfill it and you do it for the glory of God. Amen. Martin Luther once again said, When I say Martin Luther, I think most people know this, but I had one person thought it was like the Martin Luther of the 60s, and this is Martin Luther, the the reformer. Martin Luther said this. He said uh, another occasion. He said, Your work is a very sacred matter. God delights in it, and through it, he wants to bestow his blessing on you. This praise of work should be inscribed on all tools, on the forehead and the faces that sweat from toiling. Someday, I think we all want to stand in front of the Lord and say the same thing that Jesus said to His Father in John 17 and verse four, when He said, "I have glorified Thee on the earth, and I have finished the work which Thou gavest Me to do." In King James language. Amen. So one said, "Pastor, every time you quote a verse, it's in King James." And I said, "Bless God." fourth truth with you this morning in all of god's goodness god also provides limits for us look in verses 16 and 17 and the lord god commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden every tree every tree just look at them all every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die I believe it was out of the goodness and the kindness of God to warn man. Yeah, you can choose from every tree, but, but don't eat of that, because if you eat of that one, there's going to be consequences. See, Satan would have us to focus on the one thing that we can't do. He does the same thing with your kids. You say, don't do this, and that's exactly what they want to do. You can choose from A to, to what's before Z? A to whatever it is what is before z yeah why a to y you can choose them all just don't choose z no i want to choose z that's how we are as humans there's freedom man had in a sense we could say the run of the place but just one restriction on him because god was good and knew what was good for mankind here this prohibition is given by God he the Lord God commanded right and what we find out is is that you go to Genesis chapter 1 the God spoke and it was so and God spoke and it was so and God spoke and it was so And we see the power of God in creation in Genesis 1 and here the Lord God commanded the Lord God spoke in Genesis chapter 2 and the question is is man going to respond to the his almighty power and voice, And the prohibition was given. It was one that was needed. It was simple. It was visible. It was easy. It was specific. Those trees right there in the middle. There's two of them right there in the middle. All of them you can enjoy. But that one. Stay away from it. I wonder... When God gives a command, do you focus on that which you can't do? Or do you see all of God's goodness in what you can do? Some people cry for freedom. But imagine with me for a minute if a a goldfish was in a a water tank and the the goldfish swam around and swam around all day long and, and he just thought to himself, man, I just wish I was free of this place. And he jumped out of that freedom there would be death imagine with me a a child and in playing in a playground and there's a fence that's there to protect him and the child just wants freedom along the busy highway and he just wants freedom to go and just to do what he wants to do consequences could be devastating and god gives us so much but there's a prohibition there's a there's a thou shalt not and it comes to the point that we have to understand that God's instructions reveal that Adam would have had a choice that a choice would be made by Adam and a choice would be made by Eve and you may ask pastor why did God give Adam and Eve a choice why did he give them a test well God's not made us all robots just to echo back that we love him Love is a choice. As a, a spouse, you would hate for your your spouse to be a robot and just say "I love you," and just program that it just always had to say that. But but a love comes from the heart, and and they say "I love you" because they choose to love you. And Adam heard the command of God. And what will Adam do with the command of God? As I said earlier, God also told Adam that there's consequences to his choice. God is so good. I want you to see fifth of all what God provides in the closing verses 18 and through 25. The fifth thing that we see that God provides is God provides a marriage. <clears throat> and a number of things before we jump into the actual text this morning, we need to understand that most but not all are designed for marriage the bible says in matthew chapter 9 that there are those that god gives a gift of singleness to and sometimes i think as christians we hurt other single believers because we don't understand this principle we think everybody ought to get married you know what it's not god's will for everybody to get married And we make people feel awkward or maybe even unwanted but our church should be a church of fellowship of friendships of relationships of community and of understanding look with me in genesis 2 in verse 18 the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone i will make him a helper fit for him in the hebrew structure here the words not good is at the beginning of this verse so what he's saying is not good that man would be alone not good the emphasis is on something that's not good and if you go back to genesis chapter 1 everything god did was good and the creation of man it was very good and here the world is still perfect there's no sin but god's summation is it's not good that man should be alone and i say hallelujah that man has not been left alone because we'd be messed up god says before sin enter the world that it's not good and god said i'm going to make someone to compliment this man someone to perfectly fit him and this word that he mentions here, um, uh, the, the uh, helper fit for him. The word helper is used 19 times in our Old Testament, 16 of the 19 times is used of God of being a helper. So this is not a derogatory term that a woman is gonna be some type of a lowly helper of a man, no, he, she's gonna be a perfect complement to a man. If you're ever outside and you see the moon and you only see part of the moon, because of the clouds or the way it is do you know the only thing that fits the other part of that moon is the other side of the moon and that's what God does with male and female husband and wife that he fits them together and it's his design his plan look in verse 19 Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Don't know how long this took. But he looked at every animal and every bird. And at the conclusion... But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Here comes an elephant. God says, "What do you want to call it?" Well, it looks like an elephant. Call it an elephant. He goes through every animal, a monkey, a rhinoceros, all kinds of birds, and and it's almost as if the man is ignorant that that he's really, there's not someone to match him. God's not just saying, okay, Adam, I just I'm gonna give you, a, 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 you know, some homework and you can name all these animals. No, God's saying, I want you to see all of these things here, and there's not anyone here on earth that will complement or fit you. That's where God's going in this. So in verse 21 the Lord is not going to give Adam an animal because an animal wouldn't fit him. He's got a plan. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. I love the story of a man, a doctor by the name of James Simpson. James Simpson, based on this verse of God putting man to sleep and operating on him... James Simpson was a surgeon, a doctor, and before that time, you could get some whiskey for your whatever they're going to do with you, or you could do some kind of other drug, and, or you could bite a, bite a stick or whatever. But, but James Simpson, based on this passage, he started experimenting with things. And he and some of his friends started uh, experimenting with chloroform and, and, and smelling it. And one particular night, they, they were around and they smelled it And then they just happened to wake up the next day. And now we know the rest of the story. And God put Adam to sleep, into a deep sleep. And I want you to see that God made woman from something out of a man. Because that's something like no other animal that would be like Adam. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Adam says later and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman and brought her to the man this this word made <clears throat> is mentioned a couple times in the Old Testament and it's translated the word made but really in most if not all the other passages in the Old Testament it's not translated word made it's that so-and-so built an altar or so-and-so built a house or so-and-so built a city so what we see is that god built a woman from a man god designed and built the woman from the man And i love what matthew henry says he says that the woman was taken from adam's side not from his head to rule over him not from his feet to be trampled on, but from his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected, from close to his heart to be loved. And Adam's conclusion in verse 23 is, then the man said, this is at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, Whoa, man! woman, man! and because she was taken out of man. There really is in the Hebrew a, a play on those words in verse 24 therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh we see great marriage principles here in verse 24 there's a priority that man shall leave his father and his mother there's a there's a leaving of an establishment of of your mom and dad and 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 uniting with this your spouse we see also that they shall cleave they shall be united they shall be glued together is the word there's faithfulness to a vow there's faithfulness to a relationship there's faithfulness to a person there's the clinging together and the bible says that they two shall be one flesh one flesh here does not mean just the physical aspect though it would include it it's it's a whole world of God bringing together two people quite frankly folks if we get this out of any type of order we're in trouble of what god has said in verse 25 it says and the man and and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed see there was no sin in the world there was no blushing There was nothing to be embarrassed there was a state of innocence they didn't as we will find out in genesis chapter 3 and verse 9 they didn't have to hide from anyone or hide from god they didn't have to hide from a behind a bush and this is the story that we find in Genesis chapter 2 let me tell you a story from last Sunday that I'm telling on myself but we have a family in our church here that, that has come periodically over the past maybe a year or so and then we also had someone who was visiting for the very first time and both of these men looked very similar to each other both of them would be about my age, which would be about the prime of life. Both of them had beards. But then I saw one of them out in the parking lot, and I went to speak to him, but I was thinking in my head that he was the other person. And then it wasn't long that I realized he wasn't the person I thought he was, and it wasn't long before he realized I thought he was someone else. When God did what he did and said what he said in Genesis 2, folks, there was no confusion in his mind. But the world at large and even the church today, there's great confusion. And all I say is you go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says. The first sermon I preached in this particular series, I, I challenged you about the first four words in the Bible that if you can come to the point and believe those, then everything else would be easy. In the beginning, God. And what I found out is there are those who will believe those four words, but they stumble at some truths that are mentioned here in Genesis 2. It's hard for them to believe. And we need to be remembered that the world, as it says in Romans chapter 12, is trying to conform us into a mold. And what's unfortunate is that there are churches that are bowing to the world's mold. In 1996, President Clinton, President Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act, which banned same-sex marriage and limited the definition of marriage to the union of man and woman after it had passed with Congress's overwhelming majority support. That was 27 years ago. We can look at President Obama and his definition of being the same. We can look at President Biden and his definition that he said the same but in 2023 things have changed not only has the world changed but the churches have changed the mantra of the day is love is love just as long as everyone loves each other that's all right do what you want and i say to you as the church god has designed the home and god has designed marriage And we don't do what we want to do. This particular Bible was my preaching Bible in 1998. It's the Bible that I've written most of my notes in. But when I got this Bible, I wrote a particular quote of this Bible. And I want to read this quote to you this morning. It's a quote by Martin Luther, the great reformer. He says, If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the tr- truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ, where the battle rages, there, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefront is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Amen. And by the grace of God, my brothers and sisters in Christ, your pastors are not flinching on what Genesis 2 teaches. Amen. There's a, a well-known church in Florida that is asking their members to define or to agree with their biblical definition of, of sexual purity and what that does. That's, that's Genesis chapter 2. And, and there's a lot of feedback and, and hubbubaloo about that, about, boy, they're making them sign these truths that are taught in Genesis 2. I will say this to you that I have family members who um, would be gay, homosexual, lesbian. There are people in our church that I know that have called me up. Um, One is someone who has a sister who um, recently came out. There are some of you grandparents dealing with this with your grandkids. We must not capitulate about what the bible says but we must be loving we must be kind we must be gracious Um, truths about marriage marriage has been designed by god it's not something that humans have invented marriage is more than legalizing the physical relationships marriage is a binding commitment Marriage is a loving commitment. Marriage is for companionship. Marriage is to be a permanent joined union. Marriage is to be monogamous. God gave Adam one wife and Eve one husband. Marriage is to be heterosexual. Marriage involves a new family unit. And marriage implies openness and frankness between husband and wife. And I say to you, and you can read our Constitution, but we're not condescending, we're not unloving, we're not unkind. But even when we take that spirit and position, unfortunately today, that you're still mocked, you're still ridiculed, you're still belittled. And uh, Jesus mentioned that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. He said these words, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So I'm saying, folks, you lovingly stand for truth, You love people, you're gracious, but you don't waver on what the Bible says. For those who are married, I beg of you, I plead with you to model a good and godly marriage. Someone said that the best nine words of a healthy marriage are these words. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And I'll say humbly to you this morning, after 36 years of marriage, the reason why my marriage is so good is because my wife is a great forgiver. She's a great helpmeet. And I would say to those who are married, teach your children to honor marriage. Let's pray. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I end by a song that talks about God being a good, good father. These words say, It's who you are, it's who you are, that we're loved by Him. The song goes on to say, Because you're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. And when we consider Genesis chapter 2, God is perfect in all of his ways that God provides life. He provides a home. He provides work. He provides limits to our life. And he provides marriage. And I ask you this morning will you be thankful for what he has given to you? Will you, by God's grace, make the most of what he has given to you? Will you honor him with your life? Will you see your work as something spiritual and glorifying him in what you do? Will you obey his word? And will you be faithful in your marriage? Father, help us to humbly follow your word, to obey your word, uh, to make a difference for the cause of Christ. Help us to be faithful and help our world, Lord. Help help people who are religious and lost get saved, as well as those who are uh, doing all types of sexual sin. Help them to be saved as well. Help us to focus on sin and the Savior and how you can rescue all of us from our sin. And to your name alone be praise, we pray. Amen.